Welcome to the first episode of the behind-the-scenes content for Byliners, presented by April is the Cruelest Month. This episode is our creator's interview, featuring our director, Kelly Johnston, writer of Byliners, John Petrie, and myself, Josh Wilson. In this episode, we talk about the making of Byliners, Lois Lane as a character, and the unavoidable politics that comes when you talk about the news cycle and reporters. This episode contains many spoilers for our new series, Byliners. If you haven't listened to it already, I would strongly suggest you listen to it before listening to this interview. Finally, you can find us on social media on all platforms at The Cruelest Month Podcast and on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. Enjoy the episode. We're glad to have you here at April. Are we calling ourselves April's the Cruelest Month still? Yeah. Even though we are technically don't, we're talking about don't suicide. This is very confusing to me. Yeah, we're still, so, we're, yeah, Nora would shoot me if we didn't call ourselves the Cruelest I, Month. I understand. All right. So point, I'm yeah. Kelly Johnston. I'm the showrunner of April's the Cruelest Month, which used to be known by the Nome de Guerre, Don't Suicide, Please, slash the Superhero Podcast. And I am here with the author of Byliners. Thank God I got that right. Byliners, Mr. John. Petrie, as well as hello, our resident hello. soul guru, Josh Wilson. So, hey, John. Hey. You, you wrote a hell of a thing, pal. Thank you. I, I mean, um, really. You did. Thank you very much. My two favorite film genres are film noir and screwball comedy. Um, and <laughs> um, I don't know that we really got to. Well, I mean, Matthew got to do film noir with the question. Yeah, we got to do noir. A little bit, yes. What did he? What, what was the term that got coined, Josh? Eighties noir, noir, which is not a thing. <laughs> it started out. It started out and had its moments of real noir. That it, it kind of had to forcibly we had to, it into. Uh, we had to. We had to make it a little more modern. modern. But yes, yes. This yeah, this. Although although it's funny, John. I, I actually uh, I the screwball comedy and the film noir make me. It, it was reminiscent to me. In the best possible way of, of stuff like My Girl Friday or His Girl Friday. Um, yeah, I mean, that actually, that was my entrance into screwball comedy. Um, I guess, I think I might have been 13 or 14, so we're going back mm, 30 years. 20 30, years. 35 years. 15 years. Um, six, six years. Yes, which is amazing because I don't look a day over 27. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> what's your secret? I, it's it's these cheekbones. It's honesty. Everything hangs off these cheekbones. Mm. Um, no, so I, I his girl yes. Friday is very much um, is very much what I I was thinking in my head and what I was not listening to, but what I was picturing. This sort of very fast kind of pace thing where there's this semblance of reality but it's all this sort of heightened thing sure and and certainly it's a um it's a heightened world in the sense of it's that sort of 19 late late 40s early 50s feel but it's modern day when when i um when i was recording the lead-in for episode two miss kent you, you know because i i uh i did that voice at the beginning, the high pitched, you know, stop the presses, yeah. you know, that, that fast, that fast talk. And she said it was very weird to hear, um, to hear that voice reference an Uber because it's such a modern thing and it's such an old timey voice. And, and I was like, well, that's kind of the point. Like part of, part of the way you envision this world, John, as I understand it is that it, it is a world, not unlike um, Batman, the animated series where it's modern day, but there are the, it's is this what was it you said like the four is if is if they got frozen in the 40s you yeah know? my favorite um it's a terrible movie um but the um the big screen avengers which was the john steed emma peel not marvel's avengers yes 
but the first line in that script is it's 1999 in London and the 60s never ended. And so I stole it. And I think the first line that I wrote in byliners was it's modern day, but the 1940s never ended. The background music is all swing and big band influence and the cars aren't SUVs, but roadsters. Um, and that was very much how I just sort of approached it. I was like, okay, what if, what if the forties influence and cars and music and fashion and the way that we speak was like, just never went away. You know, what if we said things like daddy-o and which is actually probably 19, more 1950s and 1940s. Um, but you know, that, that kind of thing, you weren't going to punch somebody, you were going to slug them. You weren't going right. to, you know, that, that kind of thing um, was very much how I, I looked at it. Um, for you, John, it, it, it's, to me, it's an interesting script because you have three, if not four main characters. You have Lois Lane, Iris Allen West, Vicki Vale, and Cat Grant. Whose story, in, for you as the playwright, whose story is it? Um, for me, it's, I mean, it's Lois's story. Um, okay. Because to me, I look at Lois Lane as being the best detective in the DC universe because she can do everything that Batman can do without the benefit of having millions of dollars and being able to swing from rooftop to rooftop. It takes her, you know, it might take her longer, right. but not because of anything other than, you know, she's not breaking into, in through windows and, and beating people up. Um, so it, depending it, on, depending on what run of Lois Lane you're reading. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, to me, um, it, it is Lois's story. And that hopefully doesn't mean that Iris and Vicky and Kat don't have some sort of storyline and don't have some sort of growth and don't start in one place and end in another. Um, but it's it, it's Lois's idea of, um, you know, truth, justice and the American way, which I think is, you know, one of the reasons that she and, and Superman are, you know, this eternal couple is that they're both very much influenced by what is right, what is fair, what is America supposed to stand for, um, which oddly fitting these days. Um, I was going to say, what do you think? timing is nuts. Yeah. What do you think Lois would make of, uh, of the past two days? Um, I, I think Lois would be, I, I think Lois would be obviously horrified. Um, I think Lois would be, and we should say, we're recording this on January 9th. 2021. Yes, yes, um, we should specify the date. That's true. Yeah. Just, just for posterity and and for history. Right. Um, I, I I think Lois would be hard. The thing that I love about Lois Lane is, um, I think she is. Well, I believe that Lois has very specific politics and very specific thoughts. I don't think she lets anybody, regardless of where they are on the political spectrum, off the hook. Um, because it's very much about we we we've agreed on this set of rules. We have to play by these set of rules. Otherwise, we're not what we aspired to be. Um, and I think, and that you know, I think part of that is born of the the era that she was first written in, which is you know the late 1930s. Um, <coughs> excuse me, early 1940s. Um, and I think the thing that comes out of those characters which is Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Captain America is very much what do we aspire to be, not where are we? Um, and I, I think that that's why those characters um, are, are sometimes looked at as old fashioned because I think they're inspiration more than they, um, um, and I feel like I've talked about this in the comics corner at some point um, is that, um, every sort of universe, you know, Marvel comes out of the 1960s, which was this cynicism with America. It was the beginning of the civil rights movement. It was the beginning of the women's rights movement. It was the beginning of um, gay liberation. Um, and there was a, a sense of, uh, I think we've lost our way. You know, you saw, you know, 
governments that were, act, you, you saw the government, you know, the United States government, let's be honest, actively trying to suppress people of color and trying to suppress women and suppressing queer people. Um, whereas the, in the, the 1930s, there was this sense of we are, we are front and center and leading the way and we have to be what our, our forefathers set out to be and they didn't get it right. They didn't, um, they didn't, they didn't achieve it, but we're going to, you know, this sort of boundless optimism of coming out of the Great Depression and getting into World War II and knowing we are on the side of, of right here. Um, God, I got very heavy. No, I, you, you, I, you got, you were honest. That's all I, that's all I'm ever interested in. Um, what, what is your background with Lois? I, I know like, you know, our first interaction, one of the first interactions I remember, I should say, John, was when you were still working at Forbidden Planet mm -hmm. and you recommended Wonder Woman to me for which I, that, that particular run of Wonder Woman. Um, I don't, I don't know the arc's name, so I don't. It was the Brian Azarello. Yes. Um, and I remember you, you had seen me in the store and, and I, you know, said, I'm just looking for stuff. And you actually steered me on to, to it. And I was grateful. I read the entire story arc. I thought was really great. And of course you and Matthew wrote, and I, and I think of it more you than even Matthew y'all wrote wonder woman. Um, and, and sort of wonder woman has been out of all the characters out of the DC universe. I think of, you first and foremost with Wonder Woman. So what is your connection to, or what's your history with Lois? Okay, so, well, first of all, all of the good stuff in Wonder Woman is, is definitely Matthew. Um, definitely <laughs> Matthew. <laughs> Let it go. No, no, no one believes that, John. No one I believes that. I said one good thing about myself in 2020. That was enough. That's gonna last me the whole year. Um, that, was 20, that was last year. This is a new year, John. This is a new year. I, I don't want to waste the good. I don't want to waste the good thing I say about myself this early. I see. In the year. Save it up. Don't want to. Don't want to blow it in the first week of, of the month of the new year. Um, so I, I love Lois Lane, and as terrible as they are, I love the Lois Lanes from the fifties. Um, and I certainly go into them knowing that they're sexist and they're they're terrible and Superman seems to spend an awful lot of time just trying to figure out what's the best way to humiliate Lois Lane this month. Um, and I <laughs> completely understand that. Um, here's, I'm sorry. Here's, can I ask you to elaborate on just one example of that for folks that are not familiar with Lois Lane's run in the fifties? Like that's just a very. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, well, there's, there's one story um, where Let's see, there's one story where Superman is trying to, has created this whole other identity that he's trying to get some mobsters to figure out. And so he leaves all of these, um, he leaves all of these clues and Lois has decided that she's not going to look for his identity anymore. And he gets all angry with her and is like, darn it, Lois, now that I want you to be curious and to figure out who I am, you're not doing it. And oh, and there's just like so many examples. I, I should probably pull out the, there's one where, um, uh, there's one where Lois Lane um, gets hit by this, um, this scientist Ray and it makes her very heavy set. And um, rather oh God, than- I remember that. I remember yeah, I think seeing it, that. Yeah, I think it was issue two or something like that. Um, but instead of, saying to Lois, hey, nobody knows who you are when you look like this because everybody's looking for you, you know, as you normally look. Um, there's this mobster who's trying to find you and I want to, you know, just do this until I can catch him. He just like makes all these remarks about how difficult it is to fly with her because she's so heavy set. They're like, dude, you, lift, you literally can lift a building. Why are you saying all these terrible things? Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so politically incorrect and it's so, so terrible. I would completely so recommend saying, them, but go into them knowing how terrible they are. What you're saying is at the end of every, every uh, comic, it's the equivalent of, of Superman turning to the camera and going, women, am I right guys? Like, that's what you're yeah, basically saying. Yeah. It's got, yeah. yeah. God damn. Um, oh my God. <laughs> 
And again, All right, so sorry. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're great for they're I find them fascinating for camp value, um, sure. but they're not anything that I would ever give to someone and say like this is the way the world should be. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, any stretch of the imagination. All right. Um, but I actually have to thank my friend Truk, who I worked with when I was working in a bookstore. Um, Truk, I had recommended some Wonder Woman to her and I had said, let, give me a bat, give me a Superman story that makes me love him as much as you love him. Cause she, as, as much as I am obsessed with and love Wonder Woman, she mm-hmm. is obsessed and loves Superman. Mm-hmm. And so, um, she gave me a bunch of stories like Superman Birthright and um, uh, Superman for All Seasons. And I read them. And what I was most fascinated by is, this is getting deep into comic book history. So apologies, but I just have to go there for a second. Um, After, it it was always one of those things where people were like, why, and I myself included was like, I don't understand why Superman's into Lois. She just seems like such a bother. You know, um, and really what it was, was after Crisis on Infinite Earths, when Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman were rebooted, um, John Byrne, who as much as I have some problems with some of his other work, um, did a really wonderful thing. And he made Lois, while not physically the equal of Superman, the equal in every other aspect. Um, And Mark Wade, who wrote Birthright, um, had said, you know, Superman loves Lois because she's the best and the worst of us. She is the person who is strong and stalwart and believes in the best of humanity, but also has that sort of insatiable curiosity that gets us into trouble and sometimes this impulsivity that makes us do things. Um, But I I love Lois and um, Greg Rucka recently wrote a 12 issue Lois Lane um, uh, miniseries, which actually I think started shortly after I finished the the final draft of Byliners, so I didn't allow it to influence me, fortunately, um, because I would have just stolen some lines directly from it and been like, "Eh, sure, I'm going to do this, put this in. Um, But yeah, it took me a a long time to love Lois um, as much as I love Superman, but I think just the way that people have written her. Oh, I actually, I can give I can give you even more freaky comic book lore. Please. Um, Gail Simone wrote Birds of Prey for a very long time. And there's an episode, there's an issue where um, Barbara Gordon is Oracle. Um, someone sends Lois after her and Barbara says, oh, it's the most dangerous woman in Metropolis, Lois Lane. And that sort of, that sort of was like, okay, now I, now I, now I get Lois. Now I love Lois as much as I love, not quite as much as I love Diana, but close. <laughs> okay. Okay. How about you? What is theme in episode two for you? Just, just for you, John. For, yes. For those leading. What about, what about the others, uh, John, as far as uh, Vicki Vale, Iris Allen West, Cat Grant. Um, Cat Grant. Um, come the sort of my version of Cat Grant, the the Cat Grant that I'm thinking of comes from uh, Sterling Gates's run on Supergirl. Um, Vicky Vale comes from um, the the Return of Batman, um, and Vicky Vale was a photographer um, who was again a love interest in the 1950s for Batman, and sort of was the same kind of thing with Lois. It's like how can I humiliate Vicky this month? Um, uh, Iris was always kind of portrayed as very sort of competent and very smart and very, um, uh, very much an equal. Um, but I, I will admit I had to go back and reread a lot of stuff because I didn't have a lot with Iris in it and I didn't have a lot with Vicky. Um, so they were, they were in part and parcel products of my imagination and what I needed them to do for this particular uh, script. It's, it's interesting. Uh, Iris, <clears throat> certainly in the uh, going back a ways, like I remember reading Flash in the 70s, and um, Iris is always the anchor. She's always the, the, um, 
the grounding device for Barry Allen. Like he, he all, you know, like he goes out in this crazy costume and running it very fast, fights all these supervillains. He always goes home to dinner with Iris because she's his wife and waiting for him and he adores her above all other things. And I think it's been very interesting that in, in every iteration of the DC universe, there is always an Iris Allen for, for Barry, uh, excuse me, an Iris West for Barry Allen. Um, they never, they never play that. And even after she died, you know, it wasn't long there. Like what's funny is for a long time, they were the couple mm-hmm. and, and they, and he was content. Like Flash was not, Flash was not a character that yearned in a lot of ways, the way other characters do. And somehow I feel like it got into the DNA of DC that that just can't be. And so then they started doing things like, Iris dies and Barry lives on or Barry always dies. Like out of all the superheroes in, in the Justice League, it's always Barry Allen that, that dies running in the Speed Force. Nobody yeah. else goes. You know? And I, I believe, I could be wrong about this. I'm sure some comic book fan is about to send us an email. No um, doubt. But I believe Barry was the first person to reveal his secret identity to his to his girlfriend. To his wife. Actually, yeah. it was after they were buried. Um, and he told her, and she was like, yeah, I know, you talk in your sleep. I've known for a while. <laughs> <laughs> he talks very fast in his sleep. But he talks yeah. Well, um, I, I enjoyed, may I just say, I enjoyed your take on Iris, especially because I, um, uh, even though I am not the age group that they are shooting for, I, I've been watching The Flash on CW for years. Um, I just enjoy, I just sort of enjoy it, but I... I, I certainly have not enjoyed Iris West in the way she was written for that TV series. Now, I know that, that they're trying, you know, Berlanti is, is trying to thread a very specific needle where it's superheroes, but it's still sort of like, you know, evening soap opera-y kind of stuff. But there was a moment where in the first season, Iris, who is the daughter of a cop, who is dating a cop, is berating uh, the, her her father's partner, and I won't even get into the ancestral nature of that 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 feels. Not to mention that in the in the TV series, they they basically have Barry adopted by them. So now there's the relationship between like stepbrother and stepsister. So that like there's all kinds of creepy on it. But setting that aside, she she basically chews out her boyfriend because. She wants information and he's like, I can't tell you it's an active investigation. And she basically says, if you love me, you'd tell me. And I'm like, okay, the Iris West that I have, that grow up knowing would never, ever, ever use logic like that. Like she would just not go down the road. Like, but if you let, like she would understand, like, I get it. You're an investigator, you know, and I'm a reporter and you can't, I understand. And, and it offended me enough that I had a, I had real problem with, with that character in the series for the bulk of the series, because really she was being used as a device to create drama sort of internally for, for, you know, Barry, whereas your, your Iris is grounded and she's smart. And if anything, she is a little uncertain of her abilities. And what is so lovely is that Lois is very certain in her abilities and, and, and helps, helps raise her up. So, so thank you for not, you know, thank you for not making her insipid because it, it, it's, it, it's because it, it hurt my heart. It hurt, it hurt my heart to watch the show and it's not nothing against the actress. The actress is doing a fine job. It's just the way it's written is that she's not a very, her character doesn't make a lot of sense on that show. And, and it was so nice to actually work on a piece where Iris was like, Oh, that's yes. That's Iris. She's smart and she's thinking daring. about it now. You were definitely the most excited out of all of our recording sessions to record Anasini. Like I, 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 I hadn't put that together. I cast I, a, yeah. I also cast a powerhouse as I like. I knew that Anasini would bring it. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, everybody in this one. Oh, brought, and uh, everybody in all clear. of our series brought it. So, always do, but like just Sabia as Lois is is just what you want. Bridget's Vicky Vale is so so earnest and appealing, oh. and and man, that moment, that moment in the second episode when the Ding. when you yeah when you do the penny drop moment, Josh, where and like and God love her, she does that. Uh, 
it's, it's so ridiculous and it's so perfect. It's very rare. I will say that like, cause you know, I'm the only person out of all of us really who hears the episode at all of its stages. Like there are versions that I don't send to anybody. And one of those versions is like, there are, so Kelly and I will go through and pick takes. Like we'll have each actor be like, hey, give us two or three versions of each section, line, phrase, whatever. And we'll go through and pick. And then Kelly, like we just go through and say, oh, I like this one, I like that one, I like this one, I like that one. But what I do after is I will go through some phrases and be like, well, what if I actually interchanged a couple of these? I know we said we liked this one, but what if for timing's sake Mm -hmm. or for actual continuity of the line, this other version worked better? So there are 10, 20, 30 versions of each episode with varying line combinations that got rejected. And they like part of my, the weird part of my job, it always makes me kind of uncomfortable comfortable not in like the bad way but just like weird is listening to the raw dialogue of these episodes because like there's no sound effects it's like seeing somebody interact on a green screen when it hasn't been keyed like you're just like oh there's obviously something there but i have to imagine it in my mind's eye um and this is all a long way of saying when i listened to when i assembled that final bickering scene and I went through and I interchange and that one in particular was a lot of interchanging because like, how does this flow into that? Like, how can I make this as chaotic as possible? Mm-hmm. And most of that has to be carried by the actors. Um, I got to Bridget's and she gave, I think we recorded her that section, I think five or six different times. We did. And, and she gave that all... long, that long diatribe about showing up and yeah. the house has got a wrap yeah. around. And there, and there are some that are like, um, very short and to the point. But there's a couple. The one that's in there is the really long one. That's it's chopped. hilarious. It's so good, Josh. I, like, I, I'm so glad you picked that. And one. I heard I it every time. Recorded. Every time I heard it, like no matter whether I was sound designing or dialogue editing or scoring, before I got to that scene, whenever I would play it, like, and I would listen back to what I was going to do, I could always like. I don't know if she intended this. I need to like text her and ask her if she intended, or I'll just ask her at the interview when she does that take, if she heard the light bulb go on, like, cause she does this perfect pause. Cause she's like, what are you? Oh, oh yeah. It's and the, it, it's the lilt in the O. Oh. She sings it. Yeah. 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 It's and like, but it's that perfect amount of space where you can choose. What are you? Ding. Ding. Yeah, like, you can hear that. You can hear the unsaid. Whether ding. I have put it in there or not, yeah, it's there. You can hear it. That's and all Bridget too. That's all Bridget. And I wrote in. I wrote in a whole harp part for that whole thing, just for that I could contextualize it all the way up. Like there's a harp in the back that like accentuates, and you're like, oh, that's just a part of the music that's going, and it's all for that one moment because it never plays again. <laughs> Now, I also want to make mention, because because uh, we've mentioned the other three, uh, while while I'm not as familiar with Cat Grant, and I do like right. the, the story arc that you gave her, uh, I, I want to give a particular shout out to uh, Anastasia, uh, who played Cat for us, because she steals every scene she's in. Every time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's surreal, uh, especially, I feel like, in the second episode. Like, it's true in the first, but in the second episode, every time you hear that cat is in the scene, you know, that it's just going to be off the hook. You know what I mean? It's, it's, if I could it's, whistle, I put the little flute thing in that I did every, every second she comes in though. Yep. Yeah. Like from the moment she enters in the second episode with clearly 14 bags of luggage <laughs> to stay in Lois's room, like it, it just from that moment forward, it's often races. So Lois going to shoot me that I didn't, that for that luggage scene, I think I, I told you, Kelly, but I didn't tell you, John, how I how I made the sound of that. I took every piece of luggage in my house, set up a microphone array in. Uh, oh, we can do this in that little archway, mm-hmm. and then I just rammed it through at a frazzled pace. Nor's gonna shoot me because I didn't take a video of it because it was hysterical. Me just be like. With my headphones on and the microphone, I'm like, <laughs> Josh, if we could if we could film the way you make all the sound effects, we'd have like a, the greatest blooper, like oh my God. 
for YouTube because like between that and you making the wings for the harpies, I'm sure it must I just like, back in the, the day when, of you. To, when we when we used to go outdoors. Um, and the, back back in the before in times. Before times, uh, when uh, I would go out at the end of the day to the to the bar with my friends, and they'd be like, "What'd you do today?" And I would have to explain these things. I don't do that anymore. Now I just sort of internalize it. Like it just happens, and then it we're done. And like just so making could, for a yeah. for a normal life. Yeah. Um. Uh, <clears throat> sure, yeah, John. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say, I I would love to thank you, Kelly, for those those four actors uh, they are absolutely amazing and i and what i was trying to do was sort of bring forth each person in kind of a way that they're representative of the representative of their city you know mm-hmm. lois is sort of very forward thinking and she's very much you know the metropolis is the city of tomorrow um but it's still is very dangerous and there's still things there and iris is in the city where the bad guys steal all the time, but they don't, you know, they're not psychotic like they are in Gotham city. And Vicky hasn't quite gotten to the point of, of this cynicism yet, but she sees and she understands the danger. um, And she's moving towards that. Um, And then of course, Kat for whom there's really nobody else in the world but Kat. And that makes sense given what she's, she went through. But sure. though, I, I mean, I, I remember hearing, you know, sitting down when we did the read through and just sort of going, wow, they're amazing. I, you, you wrote a fine script, John, and I was able to, I was able to hear the voice. For me, it's a matter of hearing the voice on the page and going, oh, I know who this is. Like I read the script and went, oh, I know who, I know who I want in all four of these roles. Um, and, and, you know, shout again, as always shouts outs to everybody in the cast, but I also, uh, I, I thought Jamie Geiger's turn as Daggett, like he is so gleefully having a good That's time, a good as villain, a which guy. is the weirdest compliment you can give somebody. He, like he what he reminds me of is, um, uh, Christoph, uh, Waltz in, um, in glorious bastards, <laughs> the, the, the jolly Nazi, yeah. right? Like it's the same kind of thing. Like he is so so weirdly upbeat and charming about like these awful things. And then, and then of course, Robbie as the Senator uh, Braxton yeah. um, and, and uh, you know, in his turn, especially at the beginning, the disdain he has for all reporters, which again, a long time working on that too. Like at the beginning, like that was a lot of yeah. tape. Like I went back through, I had to go back through to grab something like, if there's yeah, a, we did a or something. We, I remember we did a bunch of takes to, yeah. to get it. There's but, some things like I forget that we do like, yeah, and like try it this way well and there's an alternate take of to mention jamie's role there's an alternate take from the table read that didn't have good audio quality on it at all because it was the table read i mean we just recorded it basically on our phones um but he does it's in the first episode and braxton's like oh but my daughter and he does this total chite he never did it again and i forgot he did it or i would have asked him in the main recording session He's like, but my daughter's like, oh, your daughter, your daughter. And like, <laughs> it was so just like <laughs> nuts. It was like, whoa. And I wish I had remembered that he had done that because I would have asked him to do it again. Cause like, just I'll send you that. I, I wish, I like, wish I'd realized it as well. Cause that, that, that is so, although, like, oh, your daddy, your daddy. although there is a line you, you know, you have to be, you have to be careful of not making him so ridiculously either bad or gleeful that right. it tips. Like, I feel like we well, hit a comes very right nice back, which is the weird part, which is what's so funny about it is he comes right back to his Jamie as Daggett. Well, it's, it's <laughs> like when he's in episode two, when he is threatening Vicki Vale, how did you find me? last chance you know what do you want yeah and then she says i, I want to use your words he's like oh all right then you want some wine like he's Ooh. so he just effortlessly switches to like upbeat and charming that i'm like god i kind of want i kind of want to have daggett in like featured daggett as a villain in another one because he's such an interesting villain that you wrote john um you know well i remember jamie actually sending me an email asking like for some <clears throat> some research about sure. him. So I kind of went yeah, through yeah. the, and, and I remember he's, 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 he wants to be Lex Luthor, but he's just not that smooth. And when you see those rough edges, the way that Jamie brought them out, I was just like, Oh, that's. His, he's a thug. He's a yeah. thug with, 
you know, that, that cleans up good, you know, yeah. <clears throat> given, <clears throat> and I, and I say this because again, as, as you pointed out, John, we're recording on the 9th of January, 2021 and <clears throat> not, not even three days ago, you know, there were, there were people breaking into the Capitol building in Washington, DC. And I bring this up because, uh, I was, I rarely go on Facebook. I usually actually only go on when we're promoting stuff for the podcast. Uh I I just don't go on it very often. I post when I'm told. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Kind of. And I, I, but I went on, uh, I went on yesterday, I was on yesterday and, and people that I know back from high school, I'm not going to use any names and, and I, I don't, I'm I'm not trying to steer it one way or the other, but, um, there was a comment made. They are, they, they are clearly, uh, the, the commenter was for the sitting president. And one of the things that they were saying is that like the media absolutely under no circumstances can be trusted at all. That there is no, they, like any news being reported is immediately suspect. And I, I wanted to get your opinion on, on that, that line of thinking, John, and, and moreover, did that influence did because it's not like this is new it's not like you know uh thursday's events happened and then you know or, or wednesday's events happened and then no one trusts the media like this has been something that's been brewing in our country for at least the last four years and frankly i think a good decade prior Stephen colbert you know if you if you get a chance i will i recommend this also to the audience stephen colbert did a live show on wednesday and he said it is the most shocking, most horrifying, least surprising thing he's ever seen in his entire life. Like, yeah. and I thought that was the best way to describe but, it. But, least but, surprising. Right. And to me, it's not, I'm not even focused so much on the event itself at the Capitol as I am that there is, there is not, not a small number, roughly 70 million people who simply distrust what I would consider to be reliable news sources, right. you know, like for instance, the Associated Press, who are who are very neutral, generally in their reporting, and who are the the top tier of of integrity, like checking and making sure the facts are right, because they are the news source for all other media, at least in print. Um, they, you know, they they if it, if it's in the Associated Press, it must be a lie. Did that did. Did that help influence your writing this, John, that the, the, the attitude that's been growing in this country? Well, it certainly, you know, it certainly influences uh, that scene in the beginning where Lois is talking about what being a reporter actually means. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the world that we are living in right now, um, the part of the issue is people mistake and this is only my opinion. I'm not a an anthropologist. We, we are I, representing our own personal opinions. The things we state here are not reflected by April is the cruelest month or any subsidiaries therein. We're just some dudes on some podcast. Yeah, we're just yeah. giving our uh, opinions. Go ahead, John. Um, but I think that there is a misunderstanding of what <clears throat> media actually is. Because news channels, and every news channel does this, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, they have opinion journalists on, but it's not necessarily said, this is an opinion show. This is not a news broadcast. There is a difference between being a reporter in the way that Lois Lane is, a reporter in the way being an AP is, and having an opinion show like the millions of pundits that we can all name. Right. There is a very large difference. The problem is that people think that that sort of, I think a lot of people um, believe that, you know, when, you know, oh God, I don't don't even want to say names um, because I don't want to give press and breath to anybody in particular. No, but I understand what you're talking about. When, 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 when someone, for instance, I will use a name when someone, because my understanding is he will, he will most likely pass soon. When Rush Limbaugh takes a microphone and speaks, people treat it as if that is the gospel truth that is news. And often, my understanding is Rush Limbaugh is 
not he's not just promoting his own opinion, but a lot of the time he's not he hasn't even fact checked that opinion. He's just spouting out whatever the hell's in his head. Right, right. You know? And the thing is, the thing is that when people who are reporters and who do take that seriously, <clears throat> you know, people say, "Well, what's to stop them from saying anything?" Well, they are because that's right. what their ethics are. That's what their job is. Right. It's kind of like this is not an apples to apples comparison, but it's kind of like. Um, you know, when you go into a doctor, <clears throat> when you go into an emergency room, the doctor should be able to save you, regardless of what the doctor thinks about you as a person and whether or not, whether they like your religion or your <clears throat> sexual orientation, you know, you just have to assume this person who's treating you takes the Hippocratic Oath very seriously and they're going to do everything that they can because that's their job. That's what they get paid to do. The same thing with the reporter, a reporter, someone who is actually reporting the news and fact checking and checking their sources and doing all of that. That's their job. And they take that seriously. You know, Twitter is not news. But Twitter is media. Yeah. Facebook is not news, but Facebook but is media. media. And the yeah. difference is we right now kind of lump everything together. Um, and, you know, I, I would you know, I don't get my news from Twitter. I'm not on Facebook, so I can't get fit news from Facebook. Um, but I know who to go to for news sources. And, you know, when a news source screws up and makes a mistake, they say something and they go, yeah. we got this wrong. But when someone on Twitter gets something wrong, they just leave it up there. Or maybe they delete it, but it's already been screen capped by someone. So it's already yeah. still out there. It's eternal. Um, so, so yeah, John, I, I think, I think to your point, that is that is interesting that that we don't make the distinction between news and media, um, that it has been, you know, conflated together. And and on the one hand, it'd be easy to point out and say, well, this was done by these people for this insidious means. But the truth is, is that ever since, gosh, the at least the 40s, entertainment has been imposing itself onto news so that news programs were required to do a certain amount of fluff pieces because, you know, the, the networks required it, right? So news has been compromised in that sense in America for a long time. And I mean, like, when you when you have um, uh, shows like Entertainment Tonight, mm -hmm. right, which is a news program, but it, it, it's, it's not... It, it's not hard hitting news. It's not about world events. It's more gossipy. It's more about what's news in just a very specific arena, you know, show business. And then even to a less degree ESPN, right, which is news, but it's all solely sports related news, right? We, we, we become adjusted to the idea that the news should be entertaining. Mm -hmm. And the moment that we as a populace start to think in terms of, of, the news being entertaining, that opens up the door for things like Facebook and Twitter and whatnot becoming, you know, those, you know, legitimate sources. Hey there, listeners. At this moment in time, we ran into a bit of a technical issue where Kelly's laptop just restarted while we were recording. Technology is great. While he was gone, we segued the episode to talk about the music for the episodes. This next section picks up during that conversation. I loved the music for this. And Did I you? was... I and I remember sort of having this, I remember having the conversation with you and Kelly about like, what, what do you want the last thing to sound like? And I, the only thing that kept popping into my head was that last part of Some Like It Hot. And you guys were like, uh, I don't know. And I remember you talking about On the Waterfront. I love On the Waterfront. But I'm like, oh God, it's so serious. It's so serious. And this yeah. is such a, a light piece. And I should just know by now, I'm, I should just keep saying to you, just do whatever you want, because you're going to know it better than I do. It's going to come out sounding way better. A little bit so. of both. It, Lois, well, Kelly and I had a really long conversation about what Lois's theme should be, because I didn't know what it should be. I, to the point where I wrote, um, I wrote basically the entire first episode without Lois. So I wrote every section without her, mm -hmm. which is a slight problem when you listen back to that score, because that score is constructed very differently from the other ones that we've had, where 
characters are personified as instruments. That's pretty obvious if you if you listen to it. But it's how they interact with each other that makes it really interesting. Because it's very rare to hear a flute cello combo. But when Lois and Cat interact, that's what you get, which is a cool imitation that I enjoy. But I just didn't know how to write it because Kelly and I were like her main, I guess her main aspect initially, I say this, as I go through these things, I learn and discover more about these characters that is just cool about the writing and the, um, and the performances by the actors. Her, the first thing that struck me was she's just so intense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and so Kelly and I were like, how do you write an intense theme? You make it fast with a lot of notes. First thing you would think, right? And I'm like, cool. I'm going to write this really cool, like, piano theme on a, something on a piano or a viol, like a virtuosic violin, sort of. This is the main character. Like, that's what we wanted. I tried uh, 10, 15 different themes. I mean, like, a lot, like the most I've ever done. Wow. None of them worked. None of them. Um, and welcome back. Um, hello, gents. Hello, welcome back. Wait, I'm sorry about that. I, I, my computer literally just decided to reboot randomly in the middle of what I was saying. I'm so sorry. We're having a chat about the uh, a moment about the score. If you want to chime in in a second, um, sure. So, basically, the the problem with Lois's theme that I had told Kelly was like all these fast themes don't fit the tone of the others like cat's theme is fast and that makes sense Vicky's theme is pretty quick Iris's theme is not I mean Iris's theme is a waltz it's in three compared to the like in its actual meter is in three compared to the others that are in four um and nothing I wrote for Lois would ever work because I was like oh but there's these also in the forward thinking part of my mind, I have to be able to develop these themes by the end of the second episode so that they have this sort of body to them. Sorry, I just got hair in my mouth. Um, that's gross. Um, but you have to, there's, um, yeah, you have to have them go somewhere. And all of these fast themes that I wrote for Lois, I was like, well, this other aspect of her character comes out in this scene and I will need the music to reflect that. And with this theme that I've written, I don't know if there's much further I can go or what I can add on to it to give it something. So the option I chose was to go really slow, really slow, like exactly half the speed of Cat. Um, I think it's exactly half. I I remember it being like that. Um, But... So much so that instead of it being the kind of intensity where it's like flashing lights and glitter and, you know, like all that fun stuff. It's sort of, you know, in Fight Club, in the fight, if you've, this is a, such a weird analogy, but it's going to work. I, I hope it pays off. In Fight Club, when he gets punched in the face, they do a thing in post-production called Ramp Down where everything gets, like it does the punch sound effect. It's very crisp. And then, everything sounds like he's underwater and that effect and everything around him slows down. Like the background blur slows. Everything is just, and what that does is it makes you focus on his face. Cause it's doing like what the iPhone does for portrait mode. It blurs the background extensively and it focuses on the face. It's that sort of effect in a more drama way, not a, not an action fight club drama thing, but it's that same idea where you have all of these chirpy moments, all of these characters that, have these themes that are pretty flashy in especially in terms of my writing like i I really don't write flashy themes um and then lois's is just like walking into like a giant thing of marmalade which is the thing yeah i mean i think the thing is that lois is kind of the grounding force because if you didn't have lois there to be um, not not severe, but if you didn't have Lois there as the grounding force, everybody else would sort of spin into the, you know, into the the multiverse. Right. Uh, 
Um, so yeah, Lois, Lois is, you know, in comedy terms, Lois is the straight man. Well, that was one of its functions. Kelly and I had initially, when we were talking about themes, one of the options was to make it piano because piano can easily solo and accompany things at the same time, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting concept. So if you have Lois's theme playing on the piano while it's accompanying other themes that are coming through, you could have this really versatile idea. I just didn't like the sound of the piano and with the other instruments, I just didn't think it worked. Um, so it was also the function of that slow theme where it's now this big bass. And it was also really fun because then it means, because I had accidentally written three of the themes, I think, three of the themes in C minor. C major is the Superman theme. So if you ever just want to hide the Superman theme anywhere, like I did episode one, you can do that so easily. Um, Change it to the minor key. Yeah, it lives in a minor, like that whole thing lives in a minor key because like, I don't know, I, in my, in my nerdy, my super nerdy moment is everybody thinks the minor key sounds very sad. Like when you go to music school, when they train your ear, when they, the first thing they do when they teach you how to hear things, I guess, is they'll play two chords and they'll be like, is it happy or sad? Like happy, sad. And you're like, oh, that's a major chord. That's a minor chord. And the nerdiest thing I'm going to say for the day, and then I'm going to shut up is that the major scale has, there is basically one or two versions of it in reality. I'm gonna get shot by, for saying that. There's like one or two versions of it. Like there's a couple different like places you can go. The minor scale has at least six different shades of it. Mm-hmm. It is a super verse. So like everybody's like, oh, it sounds sad, but you're like, no, you can make it sound serious and happy or insightful like you can use it to bend a certain way um but it also makes it really cool when you go to like the major sort of thing like with the superman theme it's a subtle change because it's like you know you're in c and you're in c yes but like it, like i had told kelly you know i told him i hit the superman theme in there for him and he didn't hear it the first time because it's a it's a subtle uh you're muted um um, Although once you hear it, you can't not unhear it. You can't unhear it. So, but it's so much fun because like, you know, in reality, all you have to do is change a single note that's playing in the background and it really changes the whole feel of it. So like when you slide into something like the Superman theme, you're like, oh, this is very hopeful and very like cool. And then it can just slide right back into. And also, I mean, this score plays with silence in a lot of ways because a lot of the actors loved to do the dramatic pause for whatever reason like um stars loved for cat would hit these sudden like certain pauses and it was the mo- it was the whole reason her theme has like the the bop bump like the chirpy flute in the back is because she kept giving these pauses and you need something quick that you can fill in there and i literally in my marking and marking of the score when i would say oh what do i need here i would literally put like quip like it's a quip like right and it would be that literal hole in her dialogue and like, you just need to hit that and that's where you have to go um but yeah it was interesting all right john we're gonna play a game <clears throat> oh dear okay i'm calling is this a game, game of thrones uh, close close enough this is called pick your lois okay i am on the dc database Okay. There have been 30 credited actresses that have played Lois Lane. Oh, okay. I want you to pick your favorite. Just oh, going to run God. through the list here. Ready? Okay. Some of these I don't know. Some of these I do. And some of these I'm surprised by. Uh, Adrian Mishler. Mm-hmm. Amy Acker. Mm-hmm. Amy Adams. Okay. Barbara Palavin. Okay. Bridget Hoffman. Christina Hendricks, Sissy Jones, Courtney Taylor, Dana Delaney, Erica Durance, Gina Torres, Gray Delisle, Joan Alexander, Juliet Landau, Kate Bosworth, Kyra Sedgwick, Leslie Ann Warren, Mae Whitman, Margot Kidder, Megan Fox, Natalie Morales, Noelle Neal, Paget Brewster, Polly Perrette, 
Phyllis Coates, Rebecca Romaine, Shannon Farnan, Sirena Irwin, Stana Katic, and Terry Hatcher. That's a lot of dudes. Actually, a lot of folk, because none of them are dudes. I like to use dudes as... I know, I feel you. Neutral. I feel you. It's my, it's, my, it's my folks. Pick your Lois. And, okay. and actually, actually, John, I'm going to give you four categories. Pick your Lois for the movie. Uh, I can't... I mean, uh, Margot Kidder, obviously. Okay. But that being said... Um, and I'm sure, again, some nerd somewhere is going to be some some nerd like me is going to be typing as I as this comes it's, it's, out. As, as you're coming out, yes, furiously, yeah. I have to say, in Batman versus Superman, obviously, except for Diana, I actually thought, actually, not Batman versus Superman. I'm sorry, actually, in Man of Steel, I thought Amy Adams was the best part of that movie. And it's not that I don't love seeing Henry Cavill shirtless. That was like. Sure. Super cool as well. Uh, no, um, rad, yeah. But I love the fact that Lois was the one who figured it out. Again, it just goes back to the fact that I think that Lois Lane is just really freaking smart. Um, so, you know, I don't know that I can choose between the two of them. I mean, obviously, I love the Christopher Reeves so, movies more. Are, are they your two favorites or are you just thinking in terms of the movie? In terms of the movies. Okay. Um, all right. Television. Animated or live action? Let's do animated first. Then that, would have animated. To, <clears throat> that would have to be Dana Delaney from the Superman she's, animated she's series. She's pretty awesome, yeah. And it's not that I don't love any of the others, and it's not that I don't love... I mean, Gina Torres is Who doesn't amazing love Gina in Torres? every way. She's, yeah, like she's incredible. Um, but Dana Delaney, just in that series, it's just like everything that you want Lois to be like smart and sharp and witty and, you know, never backing down. Just, I just love that. Um, live, live action television. Okay. So this is also a tie. Um, I love Noelle Neal because she was the, original actually she wasn't the original phyllis coates i believe was in the serials right um and then noelle neal took over from phyllis coates when it went to tv um but just because you know certainly especially given the time and the the sort of inherent sexism of that time um i just i thought she was fantastic but i mean erica durant's on smallville come on it got to a point where i was like i'm i'm just watching this for lois i mean it, well, again, not that sure. seeing Tom Welling's beautiful, beautiful eyes on the screen is a bad He's thing. Very it's pretty, never a bad no thing. question. So, but um, but I noticed. So wait, so then um, uh, Terry Hatcher didn't even didn't even crack into that conversation. I, you know, it was fine, and I wasn't watching it, and uh, I it was fine. I watched it years later, um, but. Um, Yeah, and there's there's reasons that have nothing to do with Terry Hatcher that that's not my favorite right now. Um, <laughs> Understood. And everyone who's listening probably knows what I'm talking about. Nope, that's that's you know what that's that's totally legit. That's totally legit. That's totally legit. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I I thought that that series was fine for what it is, um, but I just you know that sort of I, I always hate to use the word plucky. Because I, I feel like it had such a negative connotation to it, but there was something about just the determination of Erica Durance's Lois Lane to get to where she wanted without giving up all of the other stuff. I'm really looking forward to the new Superman series, um, the one um, that's supposedly mm -hmm. spinning out of of the Arrowverse, right? Um, because I love those two. I love those two actors. Who, who played uh, Clark and Lois. All right. Well, John, thank you for taking time out to talk to us today and, you know, like literally opening up about all things of interest around not just Lois, but media, et cetera. And Josh, as always, it's a pleasure. Um, uh, you know, we will, well, actually, we will 
be speaking with each other again when we actually uh, do the interviews with the actors, and that will be right. that will also be a lot of fun. So, uh, in the meantime, folks, thanks for joining us. Um, we really appreciate your support. Uh, if you haven't had the chance yet, and I think that would be just nuts to have listened to this interview without listening to the episodes, but if you haven't, by all means, go and listen to Byliners by John uh, Petrie, point. episodes one and two. Uh, and as always, ears open, buds in, and don't sue us, please. Thanks for listening to this episode of the behind the scenes content for Byliners. If you like what you heard, go back and listen to all of our other episodes. You can find us on social media on all platforms at the Cruelest Month Podcast. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>